Meet Bob Olson. Bob's the author of Answers About the Afterlife and the host of Afterlife TV. A private investigator who began investigating life after death in 1999, Bob now records his interviews with experts, authors, and people who've had extraordinary experiences so he can share it all with you. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. This is where we talk about life after death and answer the meaningful questions around that subject. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. I want to thank our sponsor today, bestpsychicdirectory.com. This is the only place on the internet where you can find over 800 psychics and mediums and tarot readers and animal communicators and energy healers and more, all located in one place bestpsychicdirectory.com. Now, I want to thank you for the comments that you gave me for the last episode. Uh, you people just absolutely embraced the new format, and it was heartwarming, the messages that, that you gave in support of this new show, in support of me. Honestly, I was moved in many ways by it, and I'm greatly appreciative of you sharing with me that you liked the show, that you loved the new format, uh, what it was specifically that you liked about it. Different people liked different things. So that was kind of cool. And some of you were kind enough to say that it really didn't matter what the format was that you would listen no matter what. And that, that too. Wow. What more can I ask for? So this show here, we got more of the same. I think it's going to be even better than the last one. Now I've sort of got some momentum going and I'm looking forward to it. I want to start the show off just talking about destiny and free will, especially when it comes to like your calling. So many people wonder, am I doing what I came here to do? What is my life purpose? We have these kinds of questions, right? And we have them not just in our 20s or 30s. We, we have them all the way through life sometimes. And we often go back to it, especially as we get older, we start to wonder if we did things the right way. I don't think there's a, a wrong way, to be honest with you. I think that we are led and guided by our soul. You might call that your higher self, by your spirit guides. And it helps us to accomplish and experience what we came here to do, to know, to experience. I really think that life is just about experiences and that's the purpose of having a human lifetime, why a soul would want to do such a thing. But I also think that so many of us think calling or purpose always has to be a profession and that's certainly not the case. Being a parent, a loving parent is a great calling. And sometimes it's just your calling might be your art, your writing. And it doesn't mean that thousands or millions of people have to be aware of what your art is. Maybe you write books and only a few people read them. Maybe you create beautiful pieces of artwork and only a few people see them. That doesn't matter. That doesn't change it, make it less significant. If you're doing what you love to do, that would certainly be an indication that you're living your purpose. 
what you came here to do. A lot of times it's just about what we're drawn to. You know, we talk about destiny and I know a lot of people wonder that. First of all, you know, to me, destiny is just what our soul, what, you know, what we as a soul, as a whole self intended to experience when we came here. To, and, and that's really about having experiences that we can't have in the spirit world. Let's just use me as, me as an example. If my soul wanted to do the work that I'm doing now, if that was part of my soul's plan, one might call that my destiny. And what I think is cool is that sometimes we can look back into our childhood even, and we can see little clues of maybe how we're being prepared for that calling along the way. Now, the other example that I used, if you have some kind of a great talent or skill for something, whether that be athletics or, as I said, art in, in its many forms, you might have a great singing voice. Or you might just be, as a child, you might be like Lucy on Peanuts, you know, who's counseling other kids and, and helping them through their challenges. You don't know, but it's easier in hindsight when we get older and we look back and we go, wow, maybe I was intended to do this all along. I certainly see things that were preparing me for this along the way. I do believe that our free will trumps destiny. I think some people worry that if their destiny is to do something different, that they have no choice, that that's what they're going to end up doing. People often are fearful that they're not meant to have wealth. They're not meant to have success at whatever it is that they're trying to be successful at. I don't believe that's true. I, I believe that we come here to have certain experiences, but I also believe that our free will is really what's in charge here. And so if you want to call something flow, when you're flowing, when you're flowing uh, in life, you're flowing in coordination with what your guides are trying to move you toward, the flow between free will and destiny would just simply be following your intuition, in a sense, following your gut, doing what you're drawn to do. If you're drawn to sing, if you're drawn to do a podcast, if you're drawn to be a therapist or a lawyer, it doesn't matter if that's what you're drawn to do. That's, uh, that's a good sign that that is somehow related to your destiny. Now, I don't think we can go wrong. I don't think, you know, if you use your free will to say, yeah, I kind of feel drawn to that, but I'm not doing it because whatever, intellectually, I want to do something else. That's fine. And your soul is not going to care. It's going to be very detached because you're having a different experience. It might not be the one that you, you decided as, a, as your whole self, your soul, when you chose this life, but it's an experience nonetheless. It's an experience that you as a soul is going to learn and grow from. So for my calling, if, if you can call this work that I do in the afterlife field a calling, I get a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, I, I look back and, and anybody that has the book, they, they're already aware of this and the acknowledgements I talk about Melissa and how when we were kids, we actually started dating when she was 11 and uh, I was a few, three years older. So 
while we're still just getting to know each other, she purchased a book for me titled Don't Be Afraid to Die. It's written by a woman named Gladys Hunt. And, and it has, that has a religious uh, slant to it. And I don't even know that I ever read it. I, I remember that when she gave it to me, I thought it was odd. <laughs> but I also wondered, you know, I'm not sure if she gave this to me because I did have a fascination with death back then. I recognized that there was something powerful about death. Or she gave it to me because it only cost a dollar twenty-five, <laughs> which is another possibility. Maybe it was a combination of the two. I don't know. I didn't care because I loved it because it came from her. I still have that book today. And in hindsight, now, how many years later? I don't even know, 40 years later, I hold this book and I think, wow, I mean, that's kind of, it's almost like a little foreshadowing of what was to come. Now, another experience that I had that I feel like maybe was preparing me for this work very early in my life was when I had, I had a cousin named Matthew. He was five years old. It was actually my cousin and his wife who, you know, who had Matthew. So, you know, I guess that's a second cousin. Matthew was my second cousin. A beautiful, just, oh my goodness, just beautiful little boy in, in every way. He had some older siblings who were playing out in the yard and, and they were all just sort of playing out in the yard, not necessarily together. They were just out there. And the older siblings ended up going across the street and when Matthew became aware of that at some point, he decided he would run across to, to be with them. And he ran across the street and was, was hit by a car. I was still a young man becoming an adult, I guess you might say. Me and my parents and my sister rushed off to the hospital to support Matthew's parents. You know, we were, we were all in shock, as I know many of you know this experience. But one of the interesting things uh, that I don't really know why it happened, but the, the doctor came out and, and Matthew, of course, they were unable to save him. And the doctor came out and asked if anybody wanted to see Matthew. And for some reason, you know, obviously the parents went in, but some reason I went in with him. I guess there's a part of me that wishes my parents had grabbed me and said, just, you know, let them be alone. But we were a close knit family and they didn't seem to mind. I don't think that was ever an issue. We went in there and this is the first time that I, I, I had ever seen anything like this and experienced anything like this. But that scene has forever stayed in my mind and perhaps was one of the experiences that drove me to do what I do today. Well, that evening after being in the hospital and seeing Matthew, I couldn't sleep. That's probably just, everybody does that, right? But uh, I couldn't sleep. And finally at two o'clock in the morning, I woke up. Uh, I shouldn't say I woke up. I got up and I, I had this poem in my head. Like I had to write out whatever it was I was feeling. And what I was feeling was I was worrying about his parents and what they were going through. And uh, I wrote this poem and I always thought of it really, you know, from Matthew's mother's voice. 
sort of in my head, imagining what she must be feeling. I, I wrote this poem out and when I wrote it out, as soon as it was done, I was able to go to bed and, and sleep. So for whatever reason, I then ended up sharing it with the parents later. And the mother said, you know, it was something that she just carried it with her everywhere because it, it helped her a great deal. Now that's just, you could say God working through me, really. Uh, I just served as a channel in a way for these words so that the parents and especially the mother had some words for herself, perhaps to comfort her, perhaps just to create a paradigm from which she could deal with this horribly tragic situation. And I still have that poem here and I thought I'd read it for you because I know there's a lot of people out there who uh, it might be helpful to. There'll be a link in the show notes if, if you need it written down. I titled it In Memory of Matthew. Many happy times we shared. Your smile will never leave me. That smirk of love that showed you cared was there whenever need be. You brought to me five gifted years, and now I long to hold you. I think of you and drown in tears because I know I told you. Please be careful. Please go slow. Do not run in the street. But you, so young, how could you know the danger you would meet? They say, don't cry, be brave, be strong, but they don't know my sorrow. Life seems unfair, so mean, so wrong. How will I face tomorrow? For you, my son, filled every day with sunshine, love, and kindness. Those memories now pave my way through the shadows of my blindness. You know that I am grateful. God blessed my life with thee. And now that you are ready, you shall spend the rest with he. I know it's right that you so nice should rise through heaven's gate. And even if you had looked twice, there's no escaping God's planned fate. I understand you're with him now and joy is yours forever. He sent us you to teach us how to take life lightly never. And now I've learned and you shall see how all you taught will better me. As you would want, life will go on, but not without your spirit. With you in mind, I'll rise each dawn with a smile like you would wear it. And one day, too, will I be blessed to rejoice with God as you do. And on that day, my prayers will rest to rejoin with you, my Matthew. having a blast hearing your stories. If you go to afterlifetv.com slash story, this is where you can leave your story. You record it for me. If you have a iPhone or smartphone or an iPad, some kind of tablet like that, they seem to work best. I've got some really good recording qualities here today for the stories. I got a couple stories I'm going to share with you. The first one is a near-death experience. I know so many of you love to hear about the near-death experiences. And this one is 
from Deborah. I want to thank you, Deborah, ahead of time for doing this. You know, I know it takes a little bit of courage to record your voice. Nobody likes to hear their own voice and, you know, put it out there so other people can hear it. Just so everybody knows, you know, you're helping everyone else. You're helping all those other people who have had similar experiences. They're not really sure if it was real. They probably got some people telling them, you know, it was their imagination or they were hallucinating or it was the drugs they were on, what have you. These stories are very helpful to other people. So Deborah, thank you very much for leaving it. Here's Deborah's story. There was an autumn breeze in the air. I went to a local diner for breakfast. I drove back home, got out of the car, and began to feel a heavy, crushing feeling in my chest. I felt like there was an elephant standing on my chest and shattering it to tiny pieces. My husband rushed me to the hospital. In the emergency room, I had an EKG done, and they wanted to check my heart rate, which was all over the place. Then I had a CAT scan, and the hospital staff told me that I was in danger of dying from a massive blood clot in my lungs. I was essentially drowning in my own blood. My only hope was blood thinners. My vision started to get fuzzy, and I began to drift away. I heard a gentlewoman's voice speaking softly to me. She said, we are in control of your heart and breathing monitors, so your vital signs appear to be okay. She said, you are here with us. You are not in your body. Then I asked her, am I dead? Am I in the tunnel? She said, yes. I asked her, who are you? She replied, I'm Esther, the woman from your mother's office, and I would bake you cookies, especially in the holidays. She said she died from a heart attack in the kitchen. I suddenly saw a movie being played within my mind of Esther's death. She was placing a batch of cookies in the oven, and within seconds, she placed her hands on her chest and suddenly passed away. After uh, seeing the movie, I began to remember her. Esther told me she was my spirit guide and had been watching me the entire time. Within the tunnel, I began to feel her loving vibration. She said she was sorry and that there were things I needed to find out about myself and correct in my life. Esther spoke about finding the goodness life, saying that it's important to make wonderful memories. She explained that when the body is sick and dying, those memories can be a resource we can use in order to numb out our pain. I then began to sense many different loving energies around me as they approached me in a circle. They began sending a vibration of a high amplitude of joy and love. I asked Esther, why did not see their faces? She assured me that if I were to see any of their faces, I would not be able to return back. Esther told me that when we die, we become an expanded version of ourselves and have the ability to be in many places at the same time. 
It was one of the many gifts that had been given to us when we died. She then assured me that the things that were going to be different when I returned back. Esther said she was sorry and that I had to leave the tunnel now. I persisted and asked her that I wanted to stay with her. Since I did not feel any pain, I was enjoying the energy and the loving vibration around me. She then said in a gentle but commanding voice, your husband needs you and there are many things you need to find out and that the only light I would see was this. I suddenly awoke and saw a hospital light above me, magically turned on by themselves. I had a tear run down my cheek as I recognized that my light from the hospital would be my light for the time being. I feel very blessed to be given a second chance to live. I have continued being on a spiritual quest, constantly finding joy and happiness wherever I go. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. Hey, Jack, uh, I want to thank you for leaving that question. It's a great question. It's a very deep and meaningful question. So I chose to answer it, one, because it is it is such a great question, but also I know that the audio quality was not very good. We tried to fix it up, but it's still pretty poor. But I wanted to reward you for at least using our online Q&A format for asking questions. You're one of the few people who did, and and I appreciate that you did that. So the question that Jack had was, what is the reason for learning and spirit evolution? Wow. There's a lot of ways that I can come at this question in, in order to answer it. I'm just going to do my best here, and I hope I answer it in the way that answers the question for you, Jack. I wrote a piece many years ago. I mean, we're talking like over a decade, maybe 13 years ago, that I think applies to this question. I think it answers it without writing an entire book. The only thing I want to say is at the end of this piece, this article, it sort of insinuates that the soul then reaches the vibration of creative intelligence. Some might call it the God vibration. After many, many lifetimes, it eventually keeps raising its frequency because of those experiences, and then finally reaches the God vibration and lives for eternity in, you know, the euphoria of that vibration, rejoining with God. First of all, I don't think that we ever are separate from God. I know we aren't. And I also don't think that we ever reach that God vibration as a soul and then just disappear in the same way that when my spirit, the spirit of Bob, leaves my body and rejoins my whole self, my soul, but retains its personality forever, for all eternity, so that when my loved ones die, I will be there to greet them 
I think the same thing happens with the soul. It reaches this God vibration. Certainly that may be the goal. I can see why it would be, but then it doesn't disappear either. It doesn't lose its identity either. It reaches that vibration. I'm sure there's many benefits to that as we can all sort of relate as we learn and grow personally, spiritually, we recognize that we have more inner peace because of the growth that we've had. Well, think of that on a soul level. I mean, that's just going to be amazing, right? After thousands and thousands of lifetimes, the wisdom that takes place because of all those experiences. Well, if it eventually knows all things, has all the experiences it could possibly have, and then reaches that vibration, it, I guess you would say, maybe becomes the same as the God vibration. And yet it does not lose its identity. And I think that's an important point to make. Other than that, here's that article that I think answers your question, Jack. I believe that we are all energy beams that reach out from the source, the light and love of God, like rays of light that reach out from the sun. When we first leave the source, we are blank slates, eager to have experiences that will teach all there is to know. At first, our energy is low and dense because we are new and inexperienced. As we have experiences that teach us universal wisdom, our energy vibration our frequency increases. And slowly, after many lives and many experiences, our vibration slowly increases so that we work our way back to the source, the one with the highest vibration. I believe that we increase our energy and our knowledge by experiencing the polar aspects of all there is to know. Our knowledge gives us an appreciation and understanding that makes us ever more complete with each new experience. In other words, we learn from experiencing both sides of every possibility. In order to fully understand and appreciate kindness, we must experience cruelty. In order to fully understand and appreciate joy, we must experience depression. In order to fully understand and appreciate health, we must experience sickness. In order to fully and understand and appreciate comfort, we must experience discomfort. And so it goes for every possible experience that exists. We experience both sides of that spectrum in order to understand and appreciate the opposite. As we reincarnate from one life to another, we can only take on so many experiences at one time. In one life, we might learn about loneliness and poverty. In another, we might grow to understand addiction and codependency. In another, fame. In another, companionship. In another, being needed and taking care of someone in need. In another, mental illness. In another, unconditional love. Sometimes we can handle two or three or maybe several lessons in one lifetime. Sometimes one major lesson may be all we can take and our life might be very short. And some lives may even be strictly for the purpose of helping someone else's spiritual growth, although we always benefit energetically whenever we help another soul on their journey. As we complete each lifetime, our energy frequency increases and we grow closer to the source. After several lifetimes, we are vibrating at faster speeds and we have gained an understanding and appreciation for many facets of being. It is my belief that if someone finds themselves passionate about helping the homeless or fostering children or the mentally impaired, that they have likely experienced that condition in a past life. 
This is why they have compassion in this area and for these people, because on a cellular and subconscious level, they understand and appreciate the circumstances and conditions that these people know. This is why God, our creator, has unconditional love, compassion, and understanding for each of us. He knows all sides of every experience. Some people may choose not to return to earth for another lifetime because lessons can also be learned in the spirit world. We can help people on earth as spirit guides ourselves, assist in helping souls cross over, comfort pets while they await their earthly owners to return to heaven or any number of possible jobs. However, from what I have learned, we reincarnate because spiritual growth is much faster here on earth. Similar to the no pain, no gain philosophy regarding physical fitness, the struggles we endure on earth are like going to the health club to exercise. With each grueling workout, each life, we return with rapid growth. Every time a life has ended, our spirit returns home to heaven to rejoin its soul. And each time we return to the soul world, we are instantly freed of all pain and sickness, all fear, and all earthly concerns. We are instantaneously bathed in the comfort, joy, and love of the ultimate light. Regardless of how difficult our last lifetime was, we sigh in our emancipation and think to ourselves, wow, what a relief. And as we discover the immense growth we gained from that lifetime, we think, hey, that wasn't so bad. I can do that again. And before we know it, we are planning our next human journey. With each lifetime voyage, we are even closer to reaching God's vibrational frequency, the ultimate final destination. Then at some point, we know all there is to know and have experienced all there is to experience. We have the highest understanding and appreciation attainable. And upon that last lesson, the final earthly existence that completes us, we merge again with our Creator to an eternity of euphoria and ecstasy. This is my interpretation of life and the afterlife according to my experiences, research, and beliefs over the last few years. I can't prove it, but it helps me to understand why bad things happen to good people, why children suffer, and why God allows the tragedies and sufferings of innocent human beings to exist. Although it doesn't make negative experiences any less tragic or difficult to endure, and in no way do I intend to make light of anyone's suffering or hardships or suggest that we stand idly by and watch people struggle. We should always do what we can to ease the burdens of others. It helps me to believe there is a spiritual purpose to life's challenges. By believing that we learn to know love as much by experiencing hate and suffering as we do kindness and compassion, it helps me to make sense of this world and trust that every person's suffering will be relieved and rewarded in the end. Thank you, Jack, for that very deep and meaningful question. And I, I hope I did a good job answering it for you. All right, so we're back. And I want to remind you that if you're ever looking for a link to any of the things that we talk about, in this show, you can just go to afterlifetv.com and underneath the video is all the show notes and the show notes will link to the various things that we talk about. Now, because we were talking about purpose and, you know, what is your calling? 
that subject in the intro, it was interesting that uh, I recognized that one of my favorite past life regressionists, the person who gave me my first past life regression and also gave me my first life between lives regression, sometimes known as a between lives regression, is Nancy Canning. And Nancy Canning, I actually interviewed her in a past episode about past lives and past life regressions. And so you can watch that if you want to. If you've seen it already, then what you'll want to know is that she has come out with a book very recently called Your Soul's Calling. Now, I wasn't even thinking about this when I was doing the intro, and then it occurred to me. So I asked Nancy if she would tell us a little bit about her book, and she was kind enough to share what her book is about and how that will benefit people. The subtitle of the book, again, title Your Soul's Calling, subtitle is Answering the Question, Why Am I Here? Now, how many of us don't ask that question a million times in our lives? What's interesting is Nancy asked me to write the foreword to her book, and I just thought her book was fantastic, just so well done. It was funny because after having done the intro, I looked back at the foreword that I wrote, and there was a couple of passages in here that I'm just going to read to you. Uh, The first thing is this, life purpose consequently seems to be easier to find than most people realize because it tends to find us. Your purpose is whatever you are drawn toward. Purpose is not about career unless you want it to be. Some people's purpose in life is to serve as an inspiring example to others or to be kind to whomever crosses their path in any given day or to express courage in spite of their challenging circumstances, or to nurture people and animals as if they were all their children. I learned that we are here simply to have experiences that we as souls are unable to have in the loving, safe light of the spirit world, our true home. So we come here to this earthly life where love exists, but only as an option from which we can choose. We also have options that teach us about love by showing us the opposite, such as hatred, greed, fear, and separation. These free will choices set the stage for some very interesting, albeit challenging and painful, experiences. And it seems that the more we choose love in life, the more pleasurable life tends to be for us. So I talk a little bit uh, after that, and then I get to this other passage that I thought was pretty interesting if I say so myself. Uh, It's always interesting when you write something. I always feel as though I'm channeling when I write and you go back and you read it later and you're like, hmm, I don't know that I wrote that. Somebody did, wrote it through me. Uh, This is the other passage. There is one other fundamental result of having spiritual experiences that I noticed yet hear few people mention. When we have any of these experiences that I've discussed this far, and I'll just, I'll just mention to you uh, that I talked about a lot of the experiences that I've had as a, a, an investigator of life after death. When we have any of these experiences that I've just discussed thus far, particularly the regression experiences, we gain a knowing about spiritual truth that seemingly satiates us as an unexpected and often unnoticed consequence of the experience itself. Said another way, we seem to absorb wisdom while having the experience. 
More interestingly, this absorbed wisdom appears to bypass our intellect and lies dormant within us until one day we surprisingly find ourselves acting with greater patience, compassion, love, and fearlessness in the face of challenges that would have previously shaken us off our rails and had us acting with less desirable qualities. Accordingly, spiritual experiences of any kind have an exponential effect on us that is so much more than the stages that unfolded or the stories about them that we later share with others. We learn lessons, of course, but we also raise our vibration individually and collectively. Our physical energy moves away from the frequency of fear and closer to the frequency of love. Moreover, we accept and appreciate our connection to our higher self, whatever term you give it, so that we learn to trust the guidance that flows in our life. In this way, we listen to our intuition and pay attention to the coincidences and messengers in our life. I can tell you for sure that I was not seeking or expecting this result when I underwent the various sessions and practices I chose for experiment in my investigation. Instead, I unwittingly became a more loving, authentic, empathetic, patient, and understanding human being than I was before my investigation into life after death. Naturally, just like everyone, I still have a long way to go since personal and spiritual growth are ongoing processes. But I trust fully that everyone, including myself, is exactly where we are supposed to be at this moment in time, which prevents me from wanting to control people and circumstances out of fear that someone or something is heading in a challenging direction. And that gives me a sense of inner peace that was once rare or non-existent in my life. So that's a little bit of the foreword that I wrote for Nancy Canning's book, Your Soul's Calling. Let's hear what Nancy has to say about her book. Hi, Bob. It's Nancy Canning, and thank you so much for your support of my latest book, Your Soul's Calling, Answering the Question, Why Am I Here? And thank you for that wonderful foreword. I was very touched by your kind words. And yes, I do hope this book touches the lives of many people because it addresses the number one question I get from more people all over the world. Am I on my right spiritual path? Am I fulfilling my life purpose? How do I make sense of my life? I just want to make sure I'm doing what I've come to do, and I don't know how to be sure. So it's those questions that this book addresses. I base the work on... 15 years of doing life between lives work with clients, taking them into the spirit world, like what I did with you many years ago, and also so many thousands and thousands of past lives where I've taken people into significant past lives. Because those lives, the past lives and the in-between lives, those sessions shed light on the current life, because this really is the only one that matters. But where we've been and what we've done in the past helps us to understand this life better. So by drawing on client stories, we begin to see how to look at your life from your soul's perspective. By drawing on the client's experiences in the spirit world, talking to elders where everything makes perfect sense, the challenges, the ups, the downs, 
the things we've done that seem to be mistakes and actually were perfect for who we are. By looking at those sessions and understanding the spiritual point of view, we can look at our own lives and begin to see, ah, yes, I see how I'm on my path. I see what it is I'm here to be learning. And I also include in there different exercises that people can do because it's one thing to read someone else's story, but you're really, as the reader, most interested in your own life. And so there's ways to look at your own life and begin to discern your life lessons, your life purpose, what it is you've come here to be and do. One of my favorite chapters is the chapter on fast trackers, which is the name I give people who take on just so much in one lifetime, challenge after challenge. I don't know how they all get up in the morning because their lives are filled with unbelievable um, challenges, one thing after another. And so many times they wonder what they're doing wrong because they know that they're they're capable souls. They know that they're doing their spiritual work and yet things just don't work out. And so often their beliefs is that they're doing something wrong. And that we found out by going into the spirit world is what's adding to the problem for these people because they're doing nothing wrong. They chose to come into challenging lives. So I love that chapter because I think it can bring some new light and new understanding to people who are really challenged and thinking, what's wrong with me? To find out, actually, there's nothing wrong. And there's things that you can do to help yourself if you have one of those kinds of lives. And another one of them, Bob, is the one that you're in, actually, on leadership and power. Because so many times, that's a theme that goes on in people's lives. And so I love looking at it from the soul's perspective of past lives where people have killed others, been mafia, been leaders like you were and had, you know, the the clansmen killed and taking on responsibility. So when we look at other lives and how we've used or misused power and then the influence who we become in this life, it begins to make a lot more sense. Another reason I wrote this book is because there's such an interest in the afterlife, in past lives. This consciousness is so opened up after over the last 15 or 20 years. And being part of this work for so long, I see how hungry people are for information based on experiences of other people. So it's not theory by any means. This is not a lot of theory, rather it's practical information, helping you to look at your life to find meaning and purpose, looking at your life to understand what's the difference between listening to your own inner guidance and listening to the ego. What's the difference? How do you know how to listen to your own spiritual, your own soul's calling? And also too, it's all about how do you then move forward out of the fear There's the chapter on fear that I really like because fear plays a role in everyone's life to see the benefits, to see how it's part of our soul's journey. 
And then at the end, I talk about the importance of balance, that there really is a balancing act that we're doing of learning from like trust and betrayal and learning to doubt the doubt and really to trust our inner knowing. How do we balance all of this that's going on? And then to move from there into inspired living. So I thoroughly hope that people take away from this book some real practical information because that's how I live. I want people to have practical ways of finding solutions and of knowing their own soul's calling because I know absolutely everyone listening to this, every person on this earth chose to come into their life. There are plans within you and that knowing within you of who you've come to be is absolutely able to be accessed with clarity. We're meant to succeed. That's the plan for us to come into this life, to remember who we are, to keep listening to the clues, to listening to our inner knowing, taking the right steps, taking action, and then living a life at the end of which we have the sense of what a great life. I did what I wanted to do. And that's my whole purpose in life, helping people at the end of the life to have two thumbs up to say, good job. I did what I wanted to do. So thanks, Bob. Appreciate all your support. And um, you're doing such good work in this life. the story for you that I really, I know you're going to enjoy. This one's a, what they call an ADC an after death communication. So many of us are getting these communications and we might be missing them. So I think it's really important that you guys share your stories with the afterlife TV audience so they can see the, the different forms that ADCs take in our lives. It's really a valuable phenomena to be able to recognize the signs and signals from our loved ones when they're trying to communicate with us from home, our true home, the spirit world. Here we have Milton, who was so kind to share his story with us. I know that it's going to be hard for some of you to hold back your tears because it's a very moving and touching story. And I, well, at least that was me. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just me. Thanks, Milton. I really appreciate you sharing your story with everybody. It was very meaningful to me. And I will tell you, I have absolutely no question in my mind that your lovely wife was communicating with you in this way. Here's Milton. My name is Milton. And I've had a lot of experiences all through my life, psychic, psychic experiences. The latest one was just about three months ago. My wife, Marie, passed. And Marie's casket was lowered in, into the ground. I looked around, and it was a beautiful day. And I looked up, and golden oak leaves were floating down gently from the sky. I looked at the casket and wished I could lift the lid and put an oak leaf inside. But I couldn't. It was just a thought. I went inside Mark's car. And while we were driving, I told Michael that I wanted to put the golden oak leaf inside the casket, but couldn't. When we got to Verona, I picked up my van at the mechanic and garage and drove it four blocks to Michael's house. As I was trying to get out of the car, I saw the top of the dashboard and a large golden oak leaf 
was sitting there. Mike came out of the house, and I said, look at this. I couldn't give Marie a golden oak leaf, so she gave me one instead. I then went to the hospital. I had surgery on my prostate and was recovering. I was talking to Marie, asking her to somehow let Michael know that she's all right. A few days later, Michael visited me and said, I walked up the steps to the front door. On the platform, there was this gold, a golden oak leaf. I looked all around me. Michael said he looked all around, and there was no oak leaves at all in sight. I took the leaf inside, and we'll save it, he said. About a week went by, and Mike and Jane, his wife, visited me. Jane said she walked to the dining room table, and a golden oak leaf was on the floor by the table, and a, and a small one beside it. When I heard this, it really floored me. So Marie went inside the house and put it there. Another miracle. That Sunday coming... I went with Mike to the flea market. I wanted something for Marie. Something said, walk down this length of tables. I did so and stopped at one and looked around. When I looked at the edge of the table, right in front of me was a golden large oak leaf dish in a golden metallic finish with veins of the the leaf showing. It was so awesome. I paid the man. This one is for Marie, I told Mike. I was was excited all day after that. Mike, too. We couldn't get over it. Now we have four golden oak leaves. Marie is always with me wherever we go, and I always talk to her. Welcome back to Afterlife TV. This is where we talk about life after death and answer the meaningful questions around that subject. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. This is the segment of the show where I read a question and answer from my book, Answers About the Afterlife. Funny, I wasn't sure how many people would enjoy this part of the show. We got a lot of comments that people love the Q&A portion, whether I was just answering a question from the audience or reading from the book. So apparently you're very interested in these things. The book is available for about 12 bucks on Amazon.com. At least that's the price right now. If you're a Prime member, shipping is free. And there's over 150 questions that I answer in this book that cover just about every possible subject that you could think of regarding life after death, from the very basic questions to some very deep and complicated questions. Today, I'm going to talk about the question of, does my loved one in spirit forgive me? That question is going to lead into another question, which is, we argued shortly before her death, is she still angry with me? These two kind of go together. So I'm going to just read the answers to both of them. They're fairly brief. So we'll start off with, does my loved one in spirit forgive me? When a person dies and returns home to the hereafter, They see the bigger picture of human interaction. They recognize why you said and did certain things, not just what you said and did. Because of this enhanced perspective and their freedom from the physical ways of being, which include the ego, they always find it in their heart to forgive. Forgiveness is an act of love, and our loved ones in spirit always act out of love. In most cases, our emotional reactions are motivated by past experiences with other people. 
If a woman suddenly gets angry with her husband for forgetting her birthday, for example, her anger might stem from memories of her parents forgetting to pick her up after school when she was seven years old. There she sat for hours, scared and alone, possibly interpreting the mishap as her parents not loving her. And if this sort of experience happened multiple times during her childhood, it could certainly affect her relationships later in life. 30 years later, when her spouse forgets her birthday for the third time, she overacts in such a way that possibly leads to divorce. Subconsciously, the husband's forgetfulness leads her to believe that he doesn't love her. And in an effort to shield herself from the pain she recalls from her childhood, she divorces him in avoidance of her heart being broken. When the ex-husband passes and is now in spirit, he now sees with full clarity why his former wife responded the way she did to his forgetfulness. He not only understands, but he also has deep compassion for her. As a result, he forgives her wholeheartedly. I have witnessed a lot of people's readings with mediums, many at public events known as medium demonstrations. Many people ask the medium if their deceased loved one forgives them, and not once have I ever witnessed a person in spirit not forgiving the person getting that reading. Forgiveness is less about letting the other person off the hook than it is about relieving oneself of suffering. When you carry the weight of blaming someone with contempt, it is actually your burden to carry. But when you release them of that blame and contempt, you release yourself of holding that negative energy inside you, which raises your overall vibration of love. Our loved ones in spirit know this better than we can, and because they are beings of light and love, they are not equipped to hold the lower energies of anger, blame, and contempt. They forgive us because it is not in their nature to not forgive. They also forgive us because of what I'll call our human ignorance. We don't know what we don't know. To them, we are like children with so much more to learn. This is not our fault. It's the nature of our species. Just as we forgive children for their words and actions because they don't know any better, spirits forgive us for the same reason. We make choices and have reactions because we are humans. It's simply part of the human experience. Now, there's another question in between there. And then there is, we argued shortly before her death, is she still angry with me? The answer to that is, if you read the last few answers in this book, you've learned that spirits view us much like we view children. In this way, just as you would forgive your child for saying something out of anger toward you because they're simply acting from emotion, our loved ones in spirit instantly let go of any negative words we said to them prior to their passing. They recognize that we are emotional beings and that we often say things we don't mean. Those in spirit can feel our love for them. They can read our thoughts. They can connect with us in ways that they never could as humans. So they already know how you feel about them, and they don't want you to suffer over concerns about silly words that you said in anger. I recommend that you just let it go and forgive yourself for what was said in the past. Likewise, you should not ruminate about anything your loved one said before their passing. It's human to argue. The only reason it bothers you so much now is because they passed before you had the opportunity to make amends. But if you've gotten this far in the book, you now realize that your loved one is not holding 
any grudges toward you in the spirit world. Plus, you know, they understand exactly how you feel. And if you're not 100% sure, talk to them out loud and tell them how you feel. Let them know how their words made you feel. Get whatever you need to say off your chest and then let it go. Release that from your aura. Even better, if you can find it in your heart, forgive first and then forget. that's it for another afterlife tv episode i thank you so much for listening i think we covered a lot of ground today we talked about destiny versus free will we heard about a near-death experience we talked about you know what's the purpose of spirit evolution for the soul and we heard about someone's after-death communication we even talked about if our loved ones in spirit forgive us and so much more how do you even remember all the things that we covered in one episode? I hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time and I encourage you to leave your questions and tell your stories so that we can share them in future episodes. I'll leave you with one little thought. When you investigate life after death, you can't help but learn a lot about life. I think that that was evident in today's show. One of the things that I learned about life is that it's not so much the things that happen to us that matter as much as how we respond to the things that happen to us. Keep that in mind. In the meantime, have a great week, and I look forward to hearing from you in the comments section of Facebook, Twitter, AfterlifeTV.com, and YouTube. I want to thank our sponsor today, bestpsychicdirectory.com. This is the only place on the internet where you can find over 800 psychics and mediums and tarot readers and animal communicators and energy healers all located in one place, bestpsychicdirectory.com. You can also read public reviews about the psychics and mediums. Each person listed there has been screened and approved by a private investigator. Hmm, I wonder who that guy is. And you can either schedule the reading privately or my personal favorite, you can get an instant reading. You go to bestpsychicdirectory.com, you can see who's available for an instant reading right now. That's all for another fantastic Afterlife TV episode. Bob couldn't be happier. If you enjoyed this episode as much as Bob, please leave a comment on afterlifetv.com, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. And don't forget to check out Bob's book, Answers About the Afterlife. Thanks for watching Afterlife TV.